Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. This morning we are going to be in the book of Obadiah, the Old Testament. I love history. I love, specifically love church history. And the Bible is all about people's lives who lived and God penned it in the word of God, in the scriptures for us to glean on and to understand and encourage us and challenge us as believers. Obadiah. Who's ever read the book of Obadiah? It is a great book. It's like to your face. Like it punches you and then it picks you up, then it punches you again then picks you up, and then it punches you, and then it says, Jesus is going to rule on the earth. (laughs) It's a great book. So this is going to be a two-part series for me. Um, I'm going to do the first part. It's probably going to be verses 1 through 9. I'm going to give you an introduction, tell you a story to set up the scene, and then we're going to get into the word. As Calvary Chapel, the philosophy of our ministry of Calvary Chapel is going to verse by verse, Precept by precept, okay? Obadiah chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we could go back over it. Obadiah 1, the vision of Obadiah, Edom will be humbled. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who look, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Verse 4, though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Verse 8, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed. O Teman, so that every man from the Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. This is the word of God. Let me tell you guys a little story to set this up. Once upon a time, now I'm going to have my storyteller voice. Once upon a time in the ancient land of Canaan, there lived two brothers named Jacob and Esau. You see, from birth, these guys were twins. They were destined for a life of rivalry. Their paths set on different courses by the choices they made, right? Esau, the elder, He was a man of the wilderness. He was rugged and strong, favored by his father, Isaac. Jacob, on the other hand, the younger, was cunning and shrewd, blessed with wisdom, and he was favored by his mother, Rebekah. You see, their lives were intertwined in the tapestry, woven with envy, deception, and reconciliation. As the years passed, now this is a family feud. As the years passed, their relationship moved and flowed, marked with moments of betrayal and forgiveness. You see Esau, driven by hunger one day, because he's a hunter, he was out hunting, doing the outdoor sea stuff, came back in and he was starving, sold his birthright, what belonged to him, to, sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. A decision that would shape their destinies forever, right? 
in the desperate bid to secure his father's blessing, Jacob, the younger brother, disguised himself as Esau, deceiving the aging father, Isaac, along with his mother. Get that. And this ignited Esau's wrath. And fleeing from Esau's fury, Jacob embarked on the journey of redemption and self-discovery. Along the way, he encountered angels, wrestled with God, and given the name Israel, signifying his struggle and triumph. Despite their conflicting history, these brothers, Jacob and Esau, eventually reconciled, embracing each other as brothers once more. Now, we could end the story there and everything is good. That's a happy ending, right? But it did not end like that. Did not end like that. You see, the story of Jacob and Esau did not end with the reconciliation. No, no, no. It continued through the generations, through their generations, their family lineage, echoing in the hearts of their descendants, the nations of Israel and Edom came to be. Centuries later, amidst the turmoil of war and conquest, a prophet emerged to deliver a message of judgment and redemption. This message, this prophet, is the book we're going to look at this morning, Obadiah. His name was Obadiah, a messenger called by God to prophesy against Edom. Inspired by the legacy of Jacob and Esau, Obadiah bore witness to the sins of Edom. Their sins were, they were prideful, they were arrogant, and they betrayed their brother, nation Israel. You see, with words of warning and lamentation, he spoke of Edom's impending doom. God told Obadiah, I want you to go speak to these Edom people, and I want you to tell them I'm personally involved in what's going to happen. See, their downfall at the hands of God's justice was going to happen. You see, the book of Obadiah stands as a testament to the legacy of Jacob and Esau. Have y'all heard this story? Not in this story format, but you've read it, right? In the book of Genesis, chapter 25, on up to like 36 or so. You can read the background of these two brothers and the rivalry that happened. So the book of Obadiah stands as a testament to the legacy of Jacob and Esau, a reminder of the consequences of the envy and strife, but also of the power of reconciliation and forgiveness. It happens in all families. So through the lives of these two brothers, we learn the importance of humility. We're going to see that as we go through these scriptures. Humility, empathy, and the redeeming power of God's great love. We're going to see that. And so the story of Jacob and Esau lives on, written into the fabric of history we have today. It really matters what we're going to read about today. Inspiring generations to come. Inspiring you and I this morning in Lubbock, Texas, 2024. Can you believe that? The word of God is true. And it is real. And God says what he's going to do, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Isn't God awesome? Yes, he is. So that's a little backdrop of what the story is. So verse 1 identifies the author of the book of Obadiah as the prophet Obadiah. Obadiah means servant of Jehovah, servant of the Lord. Man, if I would have known that, man, that would be cool to have a name, Obadiah. Because we have names, and they identify us to something, but there's meaning behind those names. In the, in the Bible. There's meaning behind names. And I'm pretty sure there's a meaning behind your name if we actually go and, you know, research the history about it. So nothing is known about Obadiah like some other prophets. He just appears and he tells this message. You see, Obadiah's frequent mentions of Jerusalem, Judah, and Zion suggest that he belonged to the southern kingdom of Judah. There was the northern kingdom when Israel split up, The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern was Judah. So uh, Obadiah is talking to the southern kingdom of Judah. Obadiah was probably living around the same time as Elijah and Elijah, okay? 
The book of Obadiah was likely written either between, and you could go, if you have like a, uh, the beginning of your Bible, it gives you like a history of stuff. Now, they're all going to be different, but eventually, well, from what I've looked at and what I learned, it's probably around these dates, but nothing is for sure. The book of Obadiah was likely written either between 848 and 840 B.C. before Christ, following an invasion of the Philistines and Arabians into the land of Judah, the southern kingdom, or between 607 and 585 B.C. before Jesus, before Christ, following one of the invasions of the Babylonians. Now, the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, they were both autonomous from one another. And then you, God raises up these empires, right, like the Assyrians, the Persians, the Babylonians, to bring judgment. And we can even see that in our time today. So, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Bible. And it's only 21 verses long. Did you guys know that? It's pretty awesome. So when somebody asks you, hey, did you read your Bible? You could tell them, yeah, man, I read the whole book of Obadiah. <laughs> They'll be like, man, in the Old Testament, it's like 30 pages long. Man, I'm really impressed. And then if they really looked at it, they'll be like, oh, yeah, dude, you got one over me. <laughs> Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. If you don't know it, I suggest you read it because it's full of nuggets. It's only 21 verses long. Obadiah was called by God to condemn Edom for the sins against both God and Israel. So the Edomites are descendants of Esau and the Israelites are descendants of his twin brother, Jacob. You see, a fight between the brothers has affected their descendants for over a thousand years. A thousand years. The division caused the Edomites to forbid Israel to cross their land during the uh, exodus from Egypt. You know, when God delivered um, Israel from Egypt, you know, they were supposed to go from Egypt <clears throat> into the promised land. And so as they were going, we all know the story. They were trying to go through this valley region, which is very, very rocky and whatnot. And they had a shortcut there. And they were trying to go through it, and their brother, the Edomites, you know, on their lineage, didn't allow them to use that. So this division caused the Edomites to forbid Israel to cross their land during the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. And Edom's sins of pride now require a strong word of judgment. This is not the only time, but they did it over and over again. They were always against God's people, you know, always against them. You see, Obadiah's message is final, and it is sure. It's true. The bottom line it is what God says will happen. God's going to tell these guys specifically what's going to happen, and it happened. You see, the kingdom of Edom will be destroyed completely. We don't know anybody who's an Edomite that's walking the face of the earth right now. And we're going to see that as we go through through scripture. You see, Edom was very arrogant, and they were happy. They were gloating over Israel's misfortunes. And when enemies had attacked Israel, had attacked uh, Israel, you know, and they were asking for help from their brother nation, Edom, they didn't do anything. What they did is they looked at Israel and they said, ha, 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 you guys get what you deserve. And not only that, but we are going to come in and try to destroy you too. That was the attitude. You, you know, these sins of pride can no longer be overlooked by God. The book ends with the promise of the fulfillment and the deliverance of Zion, Israel, in the last days when the land will be restored to God's people as he rules over them. We're seeing that at play right now in the Middle East. We are seeing God's word come to fruition right now. It's exciting and it's very sobering. You see, God will overcome in our behalf if we will stay true to him. Unlike Edom, we must be willing to help others in times of need. We could take some lessons out of the book that we're going to read. You see, we have nothing to be proud of 
except Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and I. Nothing. There's no pride in what we could take of what God has done. Now, I want to define the Edomites. Like every time I read scripture, or especially in the Old Testament, you read a lineage of people and you're like, and they're all ites, ites this, ites that, ites this. And you're like, as, as I read through them, I'm like, what are all these people, all these lineages? It's important it's in the Bible because a lot of those people are no longer on the face of the earth because of God's judgment. They're no longer on the face of the earth. So who were these Edomites? Let's define that before we actually get into it so that way we can have an idea of what's going on, right? So references to Edom occurs more than 120 times in the Old Testament. The prophet Obadiah specifically mentions Edom as a people to be judged for their pride in rejoicing over the destruction of Jerusalem. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, the firstborn son of Isaac, and the twin brother of Jacob. And in the womb, Esau and Jacob struggled together. These guys were twins. And God told their mother, Rebekah, that they would become two nations with the older one serving the younger. See, God already knows what's going to happen. He's already telling the mother, hey, the reason why you're having difficulty in this pregnancy, let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. In your womb, there are two nations. You could read about this in Genesis chapter 25. From 25 all the way up to 35, you could read about these guys in the background there. And you see, in the womb, Esau and Jacob struggled together. And let me just define, their names are very interesting, right? I'm pretty sure most of you guys know this, but Jacob was the younger brother. And when she was giving birth, as Esau was coming up, Jacob, the baby, in the womb, grabbed his brother's heel. And then Jacob... That's his name. He's like a heel holder, a supplanter. He was like, uh-uh, you ain't getting out here first, dude. I'm going to hold on to you. I want out. So he's already trying to usurp his authority over the older brother. Nothing surprises God. And Esau, if you guys ever knew, I love word studies, especially with names. If you go in the Bible and look at their names, and the Blue Letter Bible If you guys don't know that app or that website, go to it because there's tons of information you could do on your own personal studies. But if you go on there and click on the names, it will give you all the scriptures of where those names are at and the background. And I love that kind of stuff because it brings to life like the Bible as you read it, right? So Esau means hairy. That was his name. And they gave him that name. Why? Because he was born and he was a hairy Red baby. That's what the Bible says. If you don't believe me, read it. Genesis 25. Read it. That's what the Bible says. I find it really interesting, their names. You can find this in Genesis 25, 25 specifically, and 26 for Jacob. So, as an adult, as adults, Esau, the older, he was out hunting, right? He does what the outdoorsy guys do. When I think of that, I'm like, I think of a picture of like us today. There's like the hunter, you know, Pastor Terry used to come to this church. And I think when I read about Esau, I'm like, man, that's Terry. He's a hunter. He has all these camouflage stuff. He'll tell you about deers, what kind of, what kind of things that trap them. He's an outdoorsy kind of guy. I'm not an outdoorsy person. I'm probably more like the other guy. He was an outdoorsy guy. He does outdoorsy things. You know, I heard one pastor when I was studying this. He goes, yeah, the guy's, the Esau's from Texas. He's got a truck, a lifted up truck. He's got a gun rack. And he's, uh, you know, he chews and he spits. And he goes out with girls that do also. <laughs> You see, as an adult, Esau foolishly, rashly sold his inheritance, his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of red soup. You don't believe me? Read it. Genesis 25, this is what it says. 
And then Esau hated his brother after that. Esau became the father of the Edomites, the people that we read about this morning. He's, he's the father. And Jacob became the father of the Israelites, the two nations that God told Rebekah what was happening in her belly. Doesn't that, that's like, that is awesome that God has telling, is saying this and it all comes true. God's word is true and real. It is awesome. So, in the Bible, in Joshua 24 specifically, it mentions a city called Seir. In Isaiah chapter 63, it mentions another city called Basra. And in 2 Kings chapter 14, it mentions another city called Selah. Selah. These are references to Edom's land and capital. You see, Selah is better known today as Petra. Petra. You see, the name Edom comes from a Semitic word meaning red, and the land south of the Dead Sea. Do you have the map? If we look at the map, so that way you guys can understand this. Every time I hear a teaching, I'm like, when somebody tells me a region or whatnot, I'm like, okay, I'm confused. I got to look at something to actually look at it. Okay, if you check this map out, You can see specifically where the region of Edom is. Edom, right here, that region of Edom and Moab is now Jordan, okay? And then you have Israel and further south, you have Saudi Arabia. But that is the land that they were trying to come to. So as you can see here, the exodus, the exodus happened. There's two different routes. And this is Edom right here. So they were trying to cross this to go up to the promised land through Moab. But Edom, their kingdom, their people did not allow Israel to take that short, that short path. Instead, they told them, we're not allowing you guys to go through our land. Now, keep in mind, these two, these two nations are siblings. They're related. And Esau, because of the soup for which he traded his birthright, became known as Edom. And later moved his family into the hill country of the same name. This is that hill country, Edom. And uh, Genesis 36 recounts the early history of the Edomites stating that, the, that Edom had kings reigning over them long before Israel had a king, had a monarchy over them. This is in Genesis 36. You see, the religion of the Edomites was similar to that of other pagan societies around them um, who worshipped fertility gods. So Esau's descendants eventually dominated the southern land. That land, they dominated that land. Right? Esau's descendants eventually dominated the southern lands, and made their living by agriculture and trade. This is what they were known for as far as making a living. Okay, And that trade route, one of the ancient trade routes, the King's Highway, is very, very famous back in those days. right? And you could read about this in Numbers chapter 20. So the King's Highway passed through Edom, and when the Israelites requested permission to go through that land, to go through that land from their exodus from Egypt, they were rejected by force. Edom did not help them out by letting them go through that. So this is kind of the animosity going on with these two people. So Edom's kingdom had developed governments led by kings long before Israel ever established a king. So you can see the history of these two people going back, way back. In Genesis chapter 36, lists the eight Edomite kings up to that time describing a long line of political leaders and the years in which Israel lived in slavery. When Israel was in slavery in Egypt, their kingdom was already being set up. They were ruled by kings long before Israel wanted their own king, and we all know what that happened. A little bit about Edom as well. A prominent city in Edom was Petra. Petra. 
You know, this city was only accessible through narrow canyons within the giant mountain walls. Has anybody ever been to, uh, I, I would suggest it's probably like the Grand Canyon as you go through there, but more narrow than the Grand Canyon. And if you're ever hiked down to the Grand Canyon and you look up, you're just like, man, you're, I'm trapped down here. If anything happens, if somebody's on top of you and you're in the canyon walls, there's like nowhere you can go. You're dead, basically, if somebody wanted to harm you. Because all you, there's a river down, going further down, and then there's nothing at all. You're like in, in this canyon, and this is what the picture is. So the giant mountain walls was... This city, Petra, was featured in the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. If you guys ever seen that movie as the, they were going through that and the, these uh, mountain walls with the, you know, city built against the rocks, this is it. This is it right here. And, you know, in the 5th century B.C., a people called the Nabataeans defeated the, the Edomites and removed them from Petra. And this is what happens when God says he's going to do something. Okay. The Edomites were forced to move south of Israel in an area that would become known as Edomia. And you're going to see that as you go through the New Testament, read about it. In the New Testament, Herod the Great, remember Herod the Great trying to kill Jesus when he was born? Herod the Great, who commanded the murder of all the boys two years old or younger in Bethlehem, was an Edomian. That is crazy that all during all this time, that another person from the line of Edom was trying to kill Jesus and kill the promise. From way back here all the way up to this lineage. I don't know about you, but that, I mean, you get into the Bible, you start reading this stuff, it, it, it's, it's pretty deep. In Obadiah, Edom is mentioned twice by name in what we're going to read in verse 1 and verse 8. But the main focus of the entire book of, Ob Ed of uh, Obadiah is Edom's destruction as God gave out his judgment. Obadiah prophesizes that Edom would be small among the nations, utterly despised in verse, in, uh, chapter, in verse 2, that Edom's best laid plans for themselves would come to nothing. And that Edom would be completely destroyed. This is what God says about Edom. In verse 18, he says, the house of Esau will be stubble and the house of Jacob will set it up, set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken in verse 18. When the Lord says what he's going to do, he's going to do it. He is going to do it. He is going to accomplish what he says. In Obadiah's prediction, you know, this prophecy came true in the 5th century B.C., when Edom was removed from Petra, the Edomites would later disappear from history completely. Marking Edom's total destruction. And in God's dealings with Edom, God kept his promise to his people. Look at this, guys. Do me a favor. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. I think we all need to look at this. And if you don't have it underlined, check this out. What God says happens will happen. So God kept his promise to, to his people. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Look at this. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 1 to 3. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Get this. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's the promise that God was going to do something miraculous to save not only Israel, but you and I today in Lubbock, Texas, 2024. That is God's word. God kept his promise to his people long before this ever happened. With that as an introduction, yes, that is a long introduction because it's almost 11. 
Let's look at verse 1. Did you guys like that story, that introduction? <laughs> is that great, crazy? The Word of God is like a movie you could see, and it's like an adventure. It's taking you up, down. You're like, man, somebody could have wrote a, I mean, I'm pretty sure somebody did do a movie out of this. But it is just wild. Wild. So with that, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, Obadiah 1.1 says this, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. See, Obadiah introduces himself as the prophet through whom God speaks concerning Edom. He reveals that a message has been received from God, calling the nations to rise up against Edom in battle. Now, there's three things we could take from this. There's a message, there's a messenger, and there is a response, right? There's a message, there's a messenger, and there is a response. You see, God uses prophets to communicate his message to his people in the Old Testament. We, you and I, should be very concerned, and we should be very attentive to his word and responsive of his call, right? We could take that away from what we learn in just verse 1. Today, God speaks through his word. Everything you want to know about God, it's in his word. Not only that, God speaks to you and I, who are believers, through his Holy Spirit. He leads us. He guides us. Through his Holy Spirit. The question for you, and, for you and I this morning is, what's our response when God speaks to us? Like, what is our response when God speaks to you in the time, in the adversity, in whatever you're going through? Do we go to the Bible do we go to the Word of God to try to figure out what, God, what are you speaking to me about? Another good thing is God gives us brothers and sisters to speak into our lives, right? God has given us his Word. He has given us a family of brothers and sisters and he's given us his Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? You're not in this life alone. Verse 2 says this. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall utterly be despised. You see, God declares his judgment against Edom, saying that they would be reduced in stature among the nations and will be despised. Despised. We see that God's word is true and it will happen. God said it and it happened. God said it here and it will happen. See, God is now personally involved of what's going on in this situation. God is personally involved in your story. He's personally involved in what's going on with your life. He's not a far away God that we can't run to, that we have to go through hoops and uh, whatever to get to God. He is personally involved in your story. Everything that you've experienced, just think of this week. What have you gone through this week? He is personally involved in your story, right? When we're lost in life, we can go to God for counseling. We can ask him, Father, I have a test and I haven't studied. He's going to tell you, well, you know what? You need to study, right? You can do something about your test. You could study about your test and you could pass it. Or you could just not study and go before God and say, God, please, supernaturally. Come on. There's things that we can do as believers that we're responsible to do that only you can do. That God has given you wisdom and understanding to do. 
See, God told these guys that they would be utterly despised. Despised is to look down on with disrespect, to regard as worthless or distasteful. You see how serious God is with these guys? God is declaring his judgment against Edom, saying that they will be reduced to nothing. God's word is true and will happen. God is personally involved. That could be a good or a bad thing, depending on which side you're on with when God does something. You see, pride and arrogance leads to downfall. We should humble ourselves before God and recognize his authority over our lives, right? We should humble ourselves. Lest we face the consequences of what's happening in our lives. And look what's happening with Edom. They were prideful. They were arrogant. God says, I'm going to personally deal with you, Edom. God didn't send somebody, you know, he sent a messenger, but he told them, I'm personally going to get involved in what's going on now. It makes me think about the nations we have today, about how powerful we think, or any nation thinks they are, they can be untouchable. You know, we are in the United States of America. Great, great country. We have the most powerful military force, and we look throughout our history, it's like we can have an attitude as far as a nation or you as an American living in this great country of pride because we're Americans, because we think we are the best country in the world. Because we have the most powerful military, we think as a nation we can go around and just flaunt our stuff that nobody can touch us, right? That's not us, is it? That's not what's happening now, is it? We think just because we are the most powerful nation that we can push other people around, that we can put policies in place, even though they're clearly sinful policies, we could put them in place and think that nothing's going to happen to us because we are the good old U.S. of A. Are you kidding me? Edom. That was their heart. Pride. Pride. I love the United States. It's given, it's given me and my family and my father and our brothers and sisters, great, great things. But you and I shouldn't put our security in this country. You and I shouldn't put everything. Be proud because you are an American. We have the freedoms here. But that's false hope. Just the way Edom is here, they thought they had it all. Yeah, nobody can touch us. We're on the clefts of the rock. No nation can come in and destroy us. We'll put every nation down. They want to come in here, they got to go through the clefts of the rock, and we will destroy them. They were prideful. They were arrogant. What about us as a nation? We're not like that, are we? Nah. We're not like that. It's like everything that starts good, when man gets involved, it gets twisted for their benefit, right? Everything we get involved in, good thing. We see it in the church movement. We see new revivals being raised up, new denominations raised up. I mean, you look... you. You do a study on the denominations of the church, you see that God moved his spirit through one movement, and then they disobeyed or they 
sin against God or, or whatever else, the lack, the love was lost. The love, of, the love was lost for God. It wasn't done out of love. It was done out of what we can do for it. The kingdom of God was no longer the main focus. It was the kingdom of our, of our denomination, the kingdom of our church, the kingdom of, of here. It was no longer God's kingdom. God said, I'm going to take my spirit away from you guys. I'm going to raise some, some other people. That happened. They were being built up. And then they become prideful, arrogant. Like, we're the only ones that God speaks through. We're the only one that God, if people don't come to this church, they are not saved. God said, you guys are prideful as well. I'm going to take my spirit from you. And you see that throughout church history. You read about it. Calvary Chapel. God took a bunch of hippies, a bunch of druggies, a bunch of messed up people like me, like you, anointed that thing, his ministry, and worldwide thousands of churches, thousands of lives saved, crusades all over the world, Pastor Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, Pastor Ed Taylor, Name your favorite Calvary pastor. Poncho, whoever you like the best, God's spirit's with them. And when we get out of control, when we think that we are it, when we think that we are it as a church, as a nation, God will bring judgment, take his spirit from it. You guys are are living on the clefts of the rock. You guys are so arrogant. You guys are you guys are no longer doing this for me. You've lost your first love and now you're just doing it to build Calvary Chapel Kingdom or whatever denomination you want to put there. God says, I'm going to remove my spirit from you guys. I'm going to raise up some other group of people. Let's not be foolish. I love Calvary Chapel, but it's God's kingdom. I love the pastors of Calvary Chapel, but they are fallen. They are messed up, just like you and I. People that preach God's word, they, the preaching may sound great and awesome and it speaks to you, but that's a fallen man by God's spirit and grace that he's up here. That's why when I get an opportunity to teach, I'm like, I don't take it lightly. It's, like, it's, it's holy. It's holy to prepare for a message because you're on... You're, 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 you're explaining God's word, and Lord, forgive me if I do something that represents you off, like something's not true there. And that's why the Holy Spirit is in you and me, and you and I with his spirit. He goes, yes, I agree, yes, yes, yes. And then there's some things that churches do or something that a pastor does is totally not of God. And then your spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, the Holy Spirit that, in his, that lives in I, especially his word, is going to tell you that's off. That's not right. We do not want God's movement to move away from us. We have to be humble. We have to take the attitude of humble. That's heavy. <laughs> That's some deep stuff because I don't I do not want to play around with God. I do not want to take what's holy to him, what's righteous to him and try to do it on my own strength. Because he is, of course, he has grace and mercy, but he is a holy, righteous God that cannot look upon sin and wink at it. For you and I this morning, if you are playing around with God, I encourage you this morning, stop. Stop. You know what it is. You know the vices in your heart. Pride is a heart issue. That's why Jesus preaches on it. You could care. I mean, the stuff we do outwardly, 
all stems and comes from the pride what's in our hearts. The pride what's in our hearts. Verse 3. I'm going to do verse 3 and I'm going to close with verse 3 because we're almost out of time. Forgive me. It says this, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwellings, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? You see, Edom's pride has deceived them into thinking that their mountainous dwellings, because they lived in the clefts of the rock, nobody could get to them. They thought they were invulnerable, invincible, untouchable. That sounds like a Godfather movie, but they weren't. You see, the imagery of living in the clefts of the rock, the rocks and making homes in the heights symbolizes a sense of security and pride for Edom. You see, the people of Edom, due to their geographical place of dwelling, had had the advantage. They felt invulnerable and believed that no one could bring them down as far as a nation. We don't think like that as the United States of America today, do we? Nobody can touch us. You see, the key message here is a warning against the deceptive nature of pride. Edom's confidence in their natural defenses because of where they were located and elevated dwelling places led to a false sense of security and self-sufficiency. The verse implies that their pride had blinded them to the reality of their vulnerability and dependence on God. You know what pride is? Pride is living your life without God. Pride is living a life saying to God, God, I don't need you. I can live my life my own way. I can do it. This life is mine. It's not yours, God. There's some application points I want to pull out here. First one is guard against pride. Application number one, guard against pride. You see, the application of this verse is a cautionary one. We are reminded to guard against the dangers of pride in our own lives. Pride can lead to a false sense of security and independence, causing us to rely on our own strength rather than acknowledging our dependence on God. Right? It's a living a life of me, myself, and I. It's all about me, 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 me. And I get into those states. And you know who I can fake it around? It's you guys. Because we can fake each other real well. But you know who knows best? If you're married, your spouse. If you have siblings, your siblings. Your parents. The people who know you intimately know you. They know you. The second point is humility before God, recognizing and having humility before God. You know, recognizing that our achievements, possessions, or positions do not make us invincible is crucial, right? Instead, we should cultivate humility before God, acknowledging his sovereignty and seeking his guidance in all aspects of our lives. You know, as a young person, well, I was in my 20s like you guys age. Low 20s. This was me. I'm like, no, I'm away from my parents finally. Nobody can tell me what to do. It is all me now, all me. I can do whatever I want. If I want to go to this party, I can. If you want to do this, I can. Nobody can tell me what to do. Boy, was I proud. Boy, was I prideful. Humility before God. Check your walk. Be humble, because if you're not humble, people notice, especially God will notice. Depend on God. Edom's mistake was relying on their own selves, underestimating the role of God in their lives. We should learn from this and place our trust in God, recognizing that our security ultimately comes from him. Isn't that so true? Our security is from him. Avoid self-deception. Just as Edom's pride deceived them, we should be cautious and not be deceived ourselves 
through arrogance and self-reliance. You see, regular self-examination, taking inventory of your walk with God, of yourself, grounded in God's word, helps us as believers maintain a proper perspective on our strength and weaknesses. It's a good reminder for us to do that. Having a heart of gratitude and recognition. A humble heart acknowledges God's role in our successes and blessings. Instead of us boasting for what we know, you know, if you have like 10 degrees, that's awesome. You did a great job, but don't boast about it. If I have a million dollars and I'm flooding it all away, that's boasting. Or we could come down to the church level, right? This is where my attitude is at. I'm so spiritual. Not a lot of people can come up here and do this preacher message, God. Yes, God, you need me to teach because Pastor Ben's in New Mexico. God, this church can't function without me, Lord. I'm glad that you called me here for 20 years. Oh, these sinners, Lord. So many of them in Lubbock. God, I play the guitar so well. I sing so good. Nobody else can do what I do. Am I stepping on some toes? Because I stepped on my own toes. What about, let's take it another level. Students. Yes, I'm the best student ever. That guy's out partying. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I want to be acknowledged. I want people to see me, especially jocks, right, in high school and college. Those guys are very arrogant. They're prideful. I'm telling you this because I was what? Prideful. Prideful. That team needs me. They can't function without me. Chase. What about, let's bring it to the family circle. I'm the best mom ever. Look at my kids. They are so well-behaved. They are so well-behaved. They don't act like what's-their-names kids. They're out doing Looney Tunes stuff. Mom and dads. Right? I'm getting everybody in this room. You see how pride can creep in no matter where you're at in life? No matter where you're at in life, it could come in. I'm a great provider as a man. Yes, Lord. I work my tail off. Everything that my family have, it's from me. I've been there. I'm at a place in my life, 53 years old. My daughter's in her mid-20s. I no longer want to solve her problems. I want God to speak to her and she solves her own problems. Because you can't change nobody. You can force change on somebody, but you, in the heart issue that Jesus talks about, you can't change people, only Jesus. When he comes into your life, And changes you. Your heart changes. And then you love your wife more than ever. You love your kids more than ever. You love the church. You want to serve because you're not serving for people. You're serving for the one. The one. And you're the best student because you're serving the one. God is good. Worship team, you guys can come up. I'm sorry. God is so good. I know Pastor Ben's going to look at the videos. He's going to what are you doing, dude? You're going off the stage. God's good. I don't care what you're, listen, you and I need to hear this. I don't care what you're going through. Look at Edom. 
if you are saved by the Father, sealed by the Holy Spirit, directed by Him, there is nothing no one can do or you can do to make Him, our Father, love you any less. There's, there's absolutely nothing. Now, when you know and you realize that is the type of grace that we walk into, when I was flying over to American Samoa, you've got to fly over the Pacific Ocean. And there's a lot of ocean out there. And the Holy Spirit just said, you see that ocean? Your Father's grace is greater than that ocean. You could jump in there and swim to the deep as His grace is greater than your feelings. And we would, <laughs> than anything we can do. That just so encourages me. So I pray this message encouraged you and built your faith up that you would go out these doors and live your life for Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. This life is so temporary. The average age that we live to, according to the census, is like 70 years old. I don't want to be, to be honest with you, I don't want to be here that long. I'm ready for heaven at times. Like, take me home right now, God. This world's so messed up. But God's mercy and His grace is still drawing men, women, children to Himself, even now. That is the work of His Holy Spirit, even now. Let me pray, and I thank you, worship team. Didn't they do a good job? Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. And they're also young. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness in our lives, Lord. Thank you for the book of Obadiah. Even though we only covered three verses, Lord, you are so good. Four verses, God. We acknowledge you, God, that you are greater, that what you say, God, will happen. God, I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters here. God, fill them with your Holy Spirit, that your power would be just the evidence that we belong to you, that your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit belongs to us because of your son, Jesus. We thank you, God. I want to close this out. If you have not you are not saved this morning, saved from sin, saved from this world, saved from the condemnation of this world, saved from the wrath that God will display on this world. You can be saved this morning. Jesus said, Paul wrote that every knee will bow to Jesus. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Will you bow your knee to Jesus this morning? If that's you, I just want to encourage you. I'm not even asking you to raise your hand. Just cry out to you. Cry out to the Father with your Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit. God, I am so in need of you. God, I please save me. Save me from myself, from this world, from sin. God, save me, please. Paul wrote to the Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will save you. Simple as that. It's his work that keeps you. You've done that this morning. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. And I will let the worship team close out. Thank you. God bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.